Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Come on now. It's 11 o'clock. We're all awake, right? I said, good morning, church. How are you this morning? That's better. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, if you got a Bible, open up to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you got a smartphone or a or a uh, iPad, just go ahead and open up to the app there, and you'll see some notes, some outline for this morning. My name, as your pastor said, is Mac Cockrell, and I love you guys so much. How much do I love you? Today is my anniversary, and I'm spending it with you today. So that's how much I love you. So uh, you guys are um, a blessing to me that I get to be here. Your pastor is an incredible man, as you guys all know, and I have had the privilege of sharing some time with him in some pastor's meetings for this one cry Northwest Georgia, and he, uh, you guys may or may not have known this, but he actually uh, spearheaded the um, the partnering together with the rest of the churches in prayer with this, and he has kind of given leadership to that, and so I can't think of a better quality that I would want my pastor than a man that seeks the face of God, and so you guys are blessed for that this morning. And so just what I want to do this morning, just by way of introduction for me, my name is Mac. I'm a huge Kentucky fan. Don't hold it against me. We lost yesterday by a large margin, and so we're pretty uh, terrible, and that's all right. But uh, none, nonetheless, I am a Kentucky fan. My wife is from Kentucky. My, my dad's parents are from Kentucky. I grew up in Georgia, right outside of it. Uh, well, Carrollton, Georgia is where I grew up. You guys know where Carrollton is, I'm sure. Drove up here often to get some carpet when I was in construction, and uh, that was just kind of how that worked for me. But about uh, 10 years ago, God called me into the ministry, and I'll never forget that call uh, that, that God placed on my life. And then about five years ago, I met this ministry called Life Action Ministries. Didn't know who they were. I was in Memphis, Tennessee, going to seminary, getting my master's degree in uh, my master's in divinity there at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was just dumbfounded. My pastor scheduled. Now, you guys think, like, this is kind of crazy, right? We're doing this four-day thing in this, in this convention center. That's kind of crazy. My pastor... Uh, scheduled a meeting of 15 days. That is for three Sundays. We had some weird preacher in there for three Sundays in a row, two weeks in between. And I was like, Doc, I don't know what you're doing. I, I don't have that enough lost friends, right? Because let's be honest that when we think about the word revival, when we think about what that really means for us in the Bible Belt of the South, revival is this thing where, where we just throw up this white tent outside. We all, all go sit outside, eat fried chicken and watermelon and sweat for Jesus, right? I mean, that's what, that's, what, that's what revival is in the South, right? That's, what, that's kind of what we've come to know revival is. But it, it wasn't until I got involved in life and in, in what Life Action was doing and, and, and watch what happened in my church as, as deacons were coming forward and going. I'll never forget, I had this one deacon come forward in, in the church, and he goes, hey, uh, listen, I want you guys to know uh, that many of you know I lost my job uh, three, three uh, months ago. And you got to understand, I, got to, I went to a church at the time in, in Memphis of about 1,800 people. And so there's about eight, or the, the, the auditorium holds about 1,800 people on a Sunday morning. And so there's 1,800 people in this room, uh, approximately 1,800 people, that he's standing in front of, and he says this. He says, you guys know that I lost my job three months ago, but what you don't know is the first thing that I stopped doing when I got my job, when I lost my job, was I stopped giving to the Lord. I stopped tithing. God has convicted me of that during these days, and I want to begin to make restitution for that uh, now. And uh, I don't know, I guess I just said three months. He, he lost his job three years earlier. And so what he began to do over the last uh, five years since then is he began to pay back from God what he felt like he stole. You see, the truth is, is revival is not about bringing lost people to the Lord. Now, certainly evangelism is a byproduct of revival. But what happens in the midst of revival is, is we as believers come back to our first love. Let's just take the word revival 
for instance, the, the word revival, are there any teachers in the room this morning? Any teachers? Any ex-teachers? Anything? Okay, so take the word revival. The, the root word to the word revival is the word vival, which means what? Or vive, which means what? Alive. That's exactly what, right? And then the prefix of that would be the word re, or the, the prefix re, which means what? To, to bring back or to begin again life. So let me ask you this question. Has a lost person spiritually ever been alive? Just this morning, special dispensation. You can talk this morning in church. Next week, you can go back to doing whatever you normally do. But this morning, you can talk. Has a lost person ever been spiritually alive? No, absolutely not. So therefore, a revival is for you and for me. When I began to understand this truth, it radically transformed the way that I began to look at at, at, uh, at what it was that I was called to do. And so from from 2000, uh, 2009 until today, I've been crisscrossing the country preaching primarily to teenagers. Left God called me out, of, out in a ministry and called me onto the road to earn a paycheck by preaching in a church much like this or at a youth event or something like that. And it's just been crazy. But the, but the heartbeat, my heartbeat, when I came to No Life Action, is my heartbeat was the same as theirs. I would always call myself a challenge the believer preacher. That means that I, I don't preach about by nature that, that my title is an itinerant evangelist, but I wouldn't preach many evangelical messages. I got saved under a, a message which is calling for revival of the believer. And in all actuality, that's what God's been doing in my heart for so many years is calling us back to our first love, back to what we knew for, for a long time, what we've known forever. I mean, the Bible Belt of the South, many of us, myself included, have grown up in church. We know this stuff. And so the question is, are we living out what we really know? And so 1 Kings 18 this morning is a, is a passage that's not very, uh, not, not too unfamiliar to you. I'm sure you've, you've been in it often, but, but what happens in this passage is, is what Elijah does is he brings back to remembrance the God of their first love. And so in order to understand where we're going this morning, we must understand where we're coming from. And so let's go back to 1 Kings 17. If you've got your Bible there, if you're reading with me, it's this idea that Elijah goes to predict a drought. Now it's important that we go back to 1 Kings 17 because what we see God doing in the life of Elijah is we see God building great history with Elijah all through 1 Kings 17. Like, for instance, God comes to Elijah and, 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 um, and he says, Elijah, you need to go tell Ahab, right, that he's done, he's done many things wrong. In 1 Kings 16, it tells us twice that he's done exactly the opposite of what God's asking him to do. So we know that Ahab can't be trusted. And so Elijah then is given the command of the Lord to go to Ahab and tell him that because of his sins against the Lord, that, he, that, that God himself is going to send a drought unto the land. And so Elijah, there in, in chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, you see that as the Lord God of Israel uh, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So this is Elijah, the prophet Elijah, going to Ahab and he's telling him that there's going to be a drought. So Elijah goes to Ahab and says, hey dude, there's going to be a drought on this earth. Why? Because of your sins against the Lord. And then Elijah gets done giving this message to Ahab and he says, okay, now what am I supposed to do? And God says, simply run for your life right? Run for your life. And so Elijah says, where am I to go? He says, you should go to the brook of Cherith, right? And there I will send a raven to feed you twice a day, right? So we know Ray Lewis is going to bring him Chick-fil-A two times a day, right? Obviously, that's not always talking about the ravens or the birds of the air, right? He's, so he's going to send, God's going to send him two, two times a day. He's going to feed him with birds from the air. You say, Mac, why is that significant? 
Well, because in all my other study of Scripture, that any time the Lord fed anybody with bird, birds from the air, where birds would actually bring them food, he did so only once a day, right? I mean, Elijah doesn't have to eat twice a day to remain alive. He could eat once a day. But why then is God going to feed him twice a day? Because what God is doing with Elijah is he's building great history in Elijah. He's going to take care of him like he always said that he would. And so he says, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived in the brook by Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land, right? Like obviously the brook is going to dry up. Where there's no rain in the land, the brook is going to dry up. When you have a drought, obviously the brook is not going to happen anymore. And so here's Elijah, and all of a sudden this brook dries up, and he goes, God, okay, now what am I to do? And he says, okay, Elijah, now you need to go down to this house where there's this widow. She's got a son, and she's got a very little bit of food, right? A little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And you need to go to her house. And you need to tell her that she's supposed to make you food first and then feed herself and her son. And Elijah, having seen, like, it was kind of crazy that God would say, I'm going to feed you with birds from the air. But he watched as every day, twice a day, birds fed him there by the brook. So who is he to question God? So he goes down to this, to this lady's house and, 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 he, and he meets this lady and he, says, uh, and, and he says, hey, you need to feed me. The Lord sent me here. You need to feed me. And she says this. This is verse 12. If you're following along in chapter 17. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering for my, I'm, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat of it and die. Right? So off, obviously she's a very terrible cook, right? She's going to cook food and then her and her son are going to die, right? Like, of course, that's not at all what this means. She's not cooking sticks either, which is kind of what you would think there by what it says. In fact, what it, what it means is we don't have enough food. We've only got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. So so little that we're going to eat one time and then we're not going to have anything left and then we're going to die. And so Elijah says to her, according to the promise of God, that God sent him to her house to be fed by her. He knows for a fact that what she is going to do is she's going to continue to cook and there's always going to continue to be stuff there. Why? Because that's what God said was going to happen. And so he says, no, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go inside the house. You're going to fix something for me. Then you're going to fix something for you and your son. And the jar of flour won't be empty, neither will the jug of oil, until God sends rain upon the earth again. That's what he says to her. It's kind of crazy, right? And so she goes in the house and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her entire household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. You see what's happening here, again, is God is building great history with Elijah. God is promising Elijah something, challenging him something that seems out of the box, that seems completely unordinary. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. And Elijah then speaks this to a woman who probably doesn't believe it. I mean, would you believe it if somebody rolled in your house and said, hey, listen, whatever you got in your pantry, you're going to fix it for me, and then you're going to fix it for your son, and then it's going to happen. It's just going to be there again in the morning. No, you're going to look at him like he's crazy, but what God's doing is he's, going, he's doing extraordinary things for Elijah. Why? To build great history with him. And here's the challenge for you this morning, just simply in this introduction. 
is that you would listen when God calls you to do extraordinary things with your life. Why? Because he's going to call you to do that again and again and again and again. And if we, if we just collectively tallied the, the many years and months and days that, that this room, that, that collectively we spent with the Lord in here, chances are that there's, a, there's hundreds, if not thousands of years of history just sitting in this room. History with God just sitting in this room. And my question to you is, if there's great history sitting in this room, then why are we not changing the world for the Lord? Like if we have a lot of history with God in this room, which I don't doubt that we do, if we have so much history with God, then why are we not changing things? Because here's what happens with Elijah. God is building great history with him. He's feeding him with birds and, and, and through a brook until it dries up. And then he sends him to this widow's house. And by the way, listen, this drought, and it can be confirmed in James chapter 5, this drought lasts like three years, three and a half years. And so we don't know how long he was in the house, but between the brook and the house, he's there for three and a half years. And God's sending him birds from the air with food. And God's you know, filling up a flour jar and a jug full, filling it up with oil day after day after day. Why? Just to prove to Elijah, not that he had to, but because he wanted to prove to Elijah that I am God. And what I say is what's going to happen in you. Why don't you trust that? And so check this out in verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe, his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. And, he, and she said to Elijah, I, I see, I know now why you've come to this house. You've come here to remind me of my sins and to cause the death of my son. I know why you're here. You're not here so that, you, so that I can feed you. You're here so that you can remind me of just how evil I've been. And Elijah, obviously knowing that that was not the case, he scoops the son up. He carries the son up to the room where he had, where he had, been, that he had been provided by this, by this widow. And he lays the son on the bed. And then he kneels beside the bed and begins to pray. And in fact, he lays himself across the abdomen of the son as he's praying to God. And this is what he says to God. He says, O Lord, my God, this is verse 21, let this child's life come into him again. Now check this out, verse 22. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Now, church, I'm not here this morning to push some theological agenda about prayer, but here's what I know. According to Scripture right here, it says that Elijah prayed that God listened, and the life of the child came into him again. So whether you believe that your prayers change the mind of God or whether you believe that your prayers just agree with the mind of God, it doesn't matter because Elijah didn't have this debate. He just prayed. And God did what God wanted to do. And so I just wonder if we've got years of history and we believe that praying can bring revival as we see here, and he revived, and he was revived, and the life came back into him again, then why on earth are we not spending our historical years with Jesus? Are we not calling upon those historical years in prayer going, God, revive this nation again? Because I don't know if you've looked around us, but our options to vote in November are not the greatest. And here's a newsflash for many of you. I, 
What's happening in America today is not going to be changed by politics. It's not going to even be changed by education. The only thing that will change the world that's happening around us is God Himself. And it begins with you. That you would pray that God would send revival, but not that He would begin it somewhere else. Not that He would begin it next next week in my neighbor, or now that you're looking at your husband or your wife going, yeah, you need some revival. No, but that, but that God would begin this revival. You would wake up and realize that God would send revival, but who he begins to revive would need to be you. Would need to be me. Would need to be us. Because when we begin to live revived lives, the world begins to take notice. So much so that she says this, He scoops up the son and carries him down the stairs, and he says, see, your son lives. And she says this, now I know that you're a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now that I've seen, I've seen evidence in your life that the Lord that you talk about is who you serve, now I know that it's true. I just wonder how many people, when we walk in, like you guys know, I I travel in the country, I go to a lot of small towns, and the the only fast food restaurant that's in every small town in America is a a restaurant where they make your sandwich behind behind the little screen, they call themselves artists, it's Subway, right? And so that's found in every small town in America, and I love Subway, but the thing I hate about it the most is when you walk into a Subway for 7.6 seconds, you come back out and you smell just like Subway for the rest of the day. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just disaster. I've never smelled bread that that smelled like that when it was baking before, but it's still good, and so I don't know what they put in there, but you smell like it, like you literally so much so that you could go to Subway for lunch Come back to work as you're passing by the other cubicles. They're all turning around to see if you brought them a, a BLT from Subway. Because they smelled it on you. You know, did you bring me something? Well, what do you mean? Dude, I can tell, I smell you. I can tell you went to Subway. Of course, you went there to get something to eat. Did you bring me anything back, right? I just wonder, when are we going to be people that when we walk through our workplace, we walk through the cubicles in our workplace, people turn around and look at us and go, did you pray for me? You say, what do you mean? Well, I can just, I can tell that you've met with Jesus today. I just wonder, did you pray for me? Like, when are we going to be the people that we exude the aroma of Jesus? Because that's exactly what Elijah's done here. You see, he exudes the aroma of Jesus so much so that the lady says, dude, I thought that you were a liar, but I can tell that the words that come out of your mouth are truth. When are we going to be a people that our coworkers look at us and go, man, I was wrong about you. I judged you from day one because you called yourself a Christian, but I can tell that the words that come out of your mouth are truth. And and can I just tell you this morning, church, how that happens for us? It doesn't happen for us by leaving tracks in the bathroom. It doesn't happen for us on a Sunday afternoon when we go out to the restaurant and And by way of a tip, we just leave a little track on the table or we leave like a $2 tip. That's not how it happens. The way it happens for us is that we live generous lives. Or when we go in and, 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 you know, it's so sad. One of the things that I do is I'll ask waitresses all over the country, obviously, I spend a lot of my time in restaurants, what is is the day of week that you hate to work the most? And nine times out of ten, guess what day they say? Sunday. Nine times out of ten. Why? Because... Why? Well, because the church crowd comes in. What's that mean? That means they're awfully demanding and they leave little tip. What does that say about the Jesus that we serve? What does it say? It says that that Jesus is awfully demanding of us and he leaves us little tip, and that's just not true. 
Like, I, I just wonder, when are we going to be the people that exude the realm of Jesus by the way that we treat people, by the way that we live our lives every single day? And so you see that this lady uh, then sees that Elijah is, is true. And so then God comes to Elijah and he says, now is the time that you should go confront Ahab. Now check this out. Picture this. For the last three years, Ahab has been seeking the face of Elijah. Why? Probably to kill him, right? Because he sees this guy as the guy that said there was going to be a drought. Then there was a drought, a great famine, obviously. And so he's going to blame him for this. And so he sends out one of his valiant servants, a guy by the name of Obadiah. Obadiah was on the search for water for the, for the horses and for the, and for the cattle. And Obadiah just happened to be a servant of the Lord also. And so Ahab sent out Obadiah. And as Obadiah is trying to find Ahab, Elijah has left the house of the widow and he's gone to find Elijah and he runs into, or he's gone to find Ahab and he runs into Obadiah. And he says to Obadiah, he says, hey, the king that you serve, Ahab, tell him to, tell him to, to come here. Tell him that I want to meet with him. And Obadiah says, there's no way I'm leaving here because as soon as I leave here, God's going to call you somewhere else and then he's going to kill me for not killing you when I saw you. He says, I give you my word. The Lord has sent me to find Ahab. And so Obadiah then goes and finds Ahab and says that Elijah wants to meet with you. And so he brought him to the Mount of Moriah and he says, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. That's what he told Obadiah. And then in verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, you and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed after the Baals. Now, Baals was just a God, a mini God, a God that would, would give them any, any desire that they may have, the God of lightning, the God of fire, the God of rain, the God of wind, whatever that they needed in that moment, that's who they would call out for. That's what the gods of Baals were. These pluralist little gods who just did whatever they wanted. And you say, well, man, how in the world? Like, like, how in the world could they serve other gods? Like, don't they know that God is God? How in the world could they serve other gods? And my, my question to you this morning is, although we wouldn't say that we serve other gods, is this not maybe similar to what we do every single day? We make God to be this God who just serves our every desire. Just whatever we want today, God. Whatever we want. Oh, God, I just pray that you would just allow us to get this house. We just put this contract on. Oh, God, just allow us to sell our house in a hurry. God, just let, let us, uh, you know, let, like help me get this job and, and whatever. Not that God doesn't care about that stuff, but you got to understand that, that you're not on this earth for your glory. The reason God sent you and me to this earth is simply for His glory and His glory alone. That our entire job while living on this earth is to live high the, the, the face of the Lord. It's just like when you go pick some flowers, right? Like today was my anniversary, right? And so I gave my wife some, uh, I gave her some flowers yesterday before I left town of just some, uh, of, uh, you know, whatever, and the, the flower for the particular anniversary that it was. And, and she's like, oh, that's great. But what I didn't do, I didn't come in and go, man, look at these stems. Aren't these stems amazing? Aren't these amazing stems? You guys go, Mac, what a moron. Why would you do that? Well, that's exactly right. Like, what purpose does the stem hold? The stem there, my, my wife's favorite flower is a sunflower. If you do some research, man, sunflowers can be like 10 feet tall. Like, unbelievable. Why? Because they have this huge stem that lives high, the flower, for all to see its beauty. Do you understand, church, that, 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 that this morning, that you've got to understand this, that that is your job on this earth? That you are the stem to the flower of God, and your entire job is to lift high the flower of God for all to see. That's your job. 
And so he says, you, it's your fault that you've done that. And so he said, he said why don't we just decide who's, who is really God? And he said, why don't you bring all the prophets of Baal, and I'll bring myself, and let's meet there on Mount Carmel, and let's find out who really is God. So Ahab gathered all the people of Israel and gathered, this is verse 20 of chapter uh, 18. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Verse 21. This is where we get the meat of our text, and we'll finish up in a hurry. Check this out. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long are you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. You see, these people were people who said that they worshipped God. But then when it became convenient to worship Baal because they would get whatever they wanted from Baal, that's when they began to do that. And so, so what Elijah confronts them with is this idea that, that you are limping between two different opinions, serving God and serving Baal. And he goes, how long will you continue to limp between two different opinions? And just as I was like getting upset as I'm reading this passage, going, yeah, how are you going to do that? God just spoke this to my heart. He goes, Mac, is that not what you do every single day? Sure, you don't serve a God of Baal, but you serve the God of yourself. You do whatever makes you happy. You make decisions based on your happiness. Not on your eternal inheritance. I mean, if we're honest this morning, can we not just admit that that's kind of what we do, that we struggle between two different opinions, serving God or serving Baal, serving God or serving ourself, right? Right? We make these decisions, we make these purchases, we make uh, statements that make ourselves feel better. And when we feel bad, we, we try to make others feel bad to make ourselves feel better. I mean, it's all about the way that we feel. And that's, it's not 100% your fault. I mean, we're inundated by the world, which is ruled by the enemy, by the way. He doesn't live in hell, he lives on this earth. And, and he's the prince of the power of the air, according to Ephesians chapter 2. He rules and reigns on this earth, selling you lies that it's all about you, that you need to do whatever makes you happy. But in all reality, that's not what a revived life looks like. A revived life is not about making ourselves happy, but instead about turning our focus upon the Lord. You see, when it comes to revival, in the midst of revival, we'll see there, you got this if you're following along in your notes there. We see point number one right here in verse number 21. In the midst of revival, we are confronted with a choice. We're confronted with a choice. That is the choice between serving God or serving ourself. I'll never forget when I was growing up, I went to a different church than my parents. But every Sunday, we, we went to my grandmother's house for lunch. Now, my grandmother, she made the best fried chicken in the world. Who thinks they make great fried chicken? Raise your hand. Or you know somebody that does. No, you guys, you don't. Now, you're not supposed to lie in church. Now, my grandmother made the best fried chicken on the planet, okay? So, and she's, she's dead now, so I can say that with all authority that she, her fried chicken was way better than yours. Maybe not. But anyway, incredible fried chicken. And, you know, it was the fried chicken, like, it was like she put just a little bit of oil in the, in the pan, and you had to stand over it and flip it constantly. You know what I'm talking about? Like, not deep fried chicken. Not like, it was just unbelievable. And so every Sunday she would do that. So I was going to a different church than my parents. We got out a little bit earlier, and so I would, the routine was I would drive home, meet my parents there at the house. We would get to get in, to, in the car together and drive up 15 minutes to my grandmother's house every Sunday. And so I was driving home from church, and I didn't have, uh, I, I didn't have uh, uh, 
breakfast that day, and so I was really hungry, and I started thinking about how we're going to eat lunch at Mama Sarah's house. That's what we called her, and uh, and we're going to eat lunch at Mama Sarah's house, and then I remembered one of my favorite things to do with my, my grandmother, Mama Sarah, was to go to McDonald's and get two apple pies and a sweet tea, and that was one of our favorite things to do. We would share the apple pies and drink the sweet tea, and it was just it was awesome, and then when I was 14, I convinced her to let me drive to McDonald's, and that was awesome, too, and so it was just, it was just great, and so that, just fond memories that I had with my grandmother. And so I started thinking about that, and I just happened to pass the McDonald's, and I just pulled in, and I said, okay, I'm going to get two apple pies and a sweet tea. And I got up to the window. I got up to the, to the box there where you order, and, uh, hello, uh, can I take your order? Yeah, just two apple pies and a sweet tea. Would you like some chicken McNuggets with that? Uh, sure. Would you like a McChicken sandwich? Yes, a McChicken sandwich. That would be awesome. And so, and so I, I pulled into the drive-thru intending just to get two apple pies and a sweet tea, but instead I left with two apple pies, a sweet tea, a 10-pack McNugget, and a McChicken sandwich. Don't know how that happened. And so I pulled out from the window and, and began to just hammer this food because I knew that my mom would be upset with me if I got home and I was, I'd already eaten lunch before I went to eat lunch, right? And so I knew I'd be in trouble because you're going to ruin your dinner, right? And so, and so I pulled up at the house having shoved all that down. Then we got in the car and we drove up to my grandmother's house and we got out of my grandmother's house and she had a garden in the back of her house. And the church she went to was a little bitty church that just sat just three blocks from her house. So oftentimes during the summer, she would walk to church and then she would slip out early. You know, church, they're, pastor, they're not all heathens. I promise some of them are going to make dinner for their family. And so they, they sl- she would slip out early and just walk home and grab some vegetables out of the garden and then come in and fix them and fix the fried chicken and all that. And so there you got out of the car and I could just smell the aroma of the fried chicken. I went inside and my grandmother was flipping over the last chicken wing. She knew I loved the wings. That I didn't have a it had a little bit of meat, but a lot of skin and breading, and that was my favorite. And so uh, she knew that. And so she was flipping the last wing over, and, and she poured the sweet tea, and she dished out my favorite vegetable that she depicted fresh that morning, macaroni and cheese. And, and so that was cool. And then she put my wings on the plate, and then you guys will get that next week. That'll be all right. And then, and then she sat down, and we sat down next to each other, and, and we're, we're talking, and I'm drinking sweet tea, and I'm eating a little bit of the chicken, a little bit of mac and cheese, not much. And she looks at me, and she says, well, honey, is it, is it not good today? And I said, oh, no, Mama Sarah. It, it's good today. You know it's good every day. She said, well, you haven't eaten much. Why aren't you eating? I said, Mama Sarah, can I tell you something? She said, you know you can tell me anything. I said, you know how we love two apple pies and a sweet tea from McDonald's? She says, oh, yeah, so good. She said, did you stop by and get two apple pies and a sweet tea? I said, I did, and you won't believe what else they put in the bag. I said I was accidentally so hungry that I, I ate two, two apple pies, a sweet, uh, drank a sweet tea, and then I had a McChicken sandwich and a tin pack McNugget. And she just kind of had this weird look on her face. And I said, Mom, Sarah, are you mad at me? And she said, I'm not mad. I said, are you uh, disappointed in me? She says, no, honey, I'm not disappointed. I said, well, what is it? She said, I'm just confused. I said, what are you confused about? She said, you tell me I have the greatest fried chicken on the planet. I said, that's true. She said, if I have the greatest fried chicken on the planet, then why in the world would you stop to get a snack of some fake chicken if you knew that you were going to get the real thing when you got up here? And it was kind of a moment of brevity for us. We laughed. But here's what God spoke to my heart. We tell God that we know that he has the real thing waiting on us in heaven. 
And he's just looking down on us going, why in the world are you going to snack on the fake things of this world when you've got the real thing? If you'll wait just a moment, if you can wait just a minute longer, you can get the real thing up here in heaven. And that's true, isn't it? When are we going to stop snacking on the fake things of the world that we seek to bring us fulfillment when in all actuality, if we wait just a moment, if we wait just a second, Life is but a vapor, here, to, here today, gone tomorrow. If we wait just a moment, what God's got for us is this banquet table of righteousness for us to feast on of all eternity. If we wait just a moment, but instead we're compromising what we believe by feasting on the fake things of this world just to satisfy our own selfish desires. We've got to understand, if we're going to live a revived life, we're confronted with a choice every single day. Choose God, or am I going to serve God, or am I going to serve myself? We're confronted with a choice. Living a revived life means we're confronted with that choice, serving God or serving ourselves. And that's what he says to these people. He says, how long are you living between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people noticed this, and the people did not answer him a word. Why didn't they answer him a word? Just like this morning when I asked you that question, there is no answer. Why do we feast on things of this earth? I don't know. There's no answer for it. We can't answer a word because we know the things of God are so much greater. And living a revived life is all about waking up to this idea that I've been feasting on the things of God. And in reality, what I need, or I've been feasting on the things of this earth, and what I need to feast on is the thing of God. That's what revival means. That's what it means to wake up. And that's what we're going to seek together as a community the next four nights is about seeking the face of God. Why? Because we realize that we have a deep, dire need for God to return to this land again. Then the Elijah says to the people, I, even I, am only left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it to pieces and lay it on the wood, but don't put any fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. In other words, sounds good. Let's do it. Then Elijah said, said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for your many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. You see, here's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, you prepare the altar. You take the best sacrifice. You put it there first. Have everything in pristine condition for you. You have it so clean, so, so pure that you have no excuse when your God doesn't answer you. When, when, when the God of Baal doesn't answer you. What he's doing is he's giving them, he's giving He's giving them the benefit of the doubt. He's giving them no reason to say, oh, well, if we had a cleaner altar, if we had a, if we had a better bull, he's giving them the most pristine conditions. He says, you take the best, I'll take the worst. You take the, he says, listen, because I know that my God will call out, my God will answer me anyway. And how is it that Elijah can cry out with such confidence? That's point number two this morning. That when you and I are in the midst of revival, we're not only confronted with a choice, but we must cry out with confidence. That is that we must do things that seem crazy to everybody else, but we got to cry out with confidence knowing that our God's going to answer. And how can Elijah do that? How can he say, you take the best, I'll take the worst, and my God will still answer? How can he do that? Because of the history that God built with him in chapter 17. Because God fed him with birds from the air. God fed him from a widow who had nothing. And now God is taking care of his life even when he meets the man who wants to kill him. Like, he's got a lot of history with God, and so how can you cry out with confidence? Because of the history that you have with God. 
You've got years of history with God. And so we must cry out with confidence. It's like if I told you as soon as we get done with church today, you need to go to lunch at the Red Lobster right down the street and you need to eat the cheesy biscuits. It's it's not like I'm telling you that because I haven't ever eaten them. I'm telling you that because I eat too many of them. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm telling you that because I got confidence. I can speak boldly about what you need to do. You need to go eat those cheesy biscuits because they are really good. I can tell you that with all assurance. And Elijah's saying, listen, I know that my God's going to answer no matter what the... No matter how high the stakes are stacked against him, he's going to answer. Why? Because he's told me he would. And for you and for me, we need to remember the promises God made in our life for so many years. He's promised us that he's going to answer us, that we're going to be there. And so we know that we got to, in the midst of a revival, we're confronted with a choice. We must cry out with confidence. And he goes on to do this. And this is where the story gets, this is where I know that me and Elijah are really kindred spirits right here. He says this, and they took the bull that was given to them, prepared and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, this is where I know for sure we're kindred spirits, right? He's got the spiritual gift of sarcasm right here. Check this out. Cry aloud, for he is a god. Lowercase g, God, obviously. Either he's musing or he is relieving himself. Yeah, you guys know what that means. Or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened, right? Like he's mocking him. He's going, oh, is he on vacation? Maybe he's in the restroom, right? Like, like maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe you need to wake him up. Like, like obviously, Baal's not going to answer. Why? Because no matter how much you've been crying out to him, he's not a real God. And what God is saying to us this morning is, no matter how often you seek just for your own pleasure, you're not going to be satisfied in seeking just your own pleasure. That at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing and one thing only. What have you done for me? Because the reality is, as we sang earlier, that that God sent His Son to die for us. Why? So that we would die for Him. Die to our own desires for God. Die to our own desires so that we can see His face. And so that others can see His face in us. Every single day. It's about us giving up our life, our wants, our needs, our desires. To please Him. Obviously, you guys know the rest of the story. They cried aloud and cut themselves into their custom of swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. They did everything that they could and still no answer. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Nobody paid attention to them when they were dependent upon themselves. And can I tell you something this morning, church? Nobody pays attention to you when you're dependent upon yourself either. When you try to take everything into your own power, nobody pays attention to you. You see, living a revived life, understanding a need for revival is about understanding that you can't do it on your own. It's about understanding that you are here on this earth for one purpose, one purpose only, and that's to make God's name stand out among all other names. That's what you're here for. Then Elijah said to the people and said, come near to me. And the people came near to him and he prepared the altar for the Lord that had been thrown down. So he took the leftovers and prepared an altar. Elijah took 12 stones according to the tribes of Israel. Uh, yeah, according to the tribes of Israel. And with the stones, verse 32, he built an altar from the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sheaths of seed. Two sheaths of seed would be about 15 liters, right? And he put the wood in order and cut the burnt and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water, pour it on the offering of the wood. 
And he said, do it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. Now, why, does that, why is that crazy? There's two reasons why that's crazy. Why is it crazy? That you would fill a jar of water and pour it on a campfire, basically, right? Like, why, why is that crazy? Because he's asking God to send fire, but what, what has been going on for the last three and a half years? Drought. So he's wasting water at this point, right? Like he's wasting water. But he, 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 takes, he takes so much water. They, they pour so much water on this wood. Can you imagine how parched the wood was? How much it was probably like a sponge at this moment. It was going to soak in every bit of water. And, and yet it soaked in every bit of water. And the trench that contained two liters could hold two liters of water still filled up. So he poured so much water on this, this offering that, that the wood soaked in all the water. And then it filled up the trench around it. Two liters worth. I mean, it's soaked in water, and then this is what he does. I mean, think about it. Like, like that doesn't, none of that makes any sense, right? Like, that he did that. Like, you go, that's kind of crazy. Why would he do that? Because Elijah understood that in the midst of revival, that when we're trying to live revived lives, we're confronted with a choice. We must cry out with confidence, and that sometimes we know the call might seem crazy. That's point number three this morning. We know the call might seem crazy. God might ask you to do crazy things. I mean, Elijah, he asked Elijah to, to pour water over a, an offering. That, that, that doesn't make sense. That's crazy. And this week, as we're meeting together and God's just arresting your heart once again, the reality is, is God might ask you to do something crazy. If you're living a revived life, a life that's totally committed to him, God might ask you to do something crazy. I mean, think about it. Like for me, the first time I stood in front of anybody, I sweat through a piece of paper that had some notes on it, totally botched what I was trying to say. I mean, it was disaster. And now here I am for a living. This is what I do. That's crazy. I mean, it's not the only time in Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 4. Lay on your left side for 190 days. Now flip over and lay on your right side for 40 more. What? Doesn't make sense. You guys know the story of Hosea? Hosea prayed for a wife forever. You guys remember this? Prayed for a wife. God says, okay, Hosea, got a wife for you. This is, oh, great. Been praying forever for this. What's her name? Is it like? Tiffany or Julie or Chelsea, like something beautiful like that? Gomer. Oh, okay, that's cool. All right, I'll just give her a nickname. That'll be all right. Well, what's she do, God? I bet she like serves the Lord for you every single day. Uh, she's a prostitute. Oh, okay. Well, I bet like she gets saved out of prostitution and then we serve the Lord together, right? Uh, actually... She's going to leave you, go back into prostitution, and you're going to have to sell everything that you have to buy her back out of prostitution again. What? That's crazy. What about the story of Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 22? Hey, Abraham, what have you prayed for forever? A son. Okay, good. Now I need you to get up early, the next, early tomorrow morning and go sacrifice your son. But what does Abraham do? He gets up early to go sacrifice his son. Why? Because he's got all this history with God. And he knows that living a life that is focused on God, living a revived life, God might ask him to do something crazy that he doesn't understand, but he knows that he doesn't have to understand it if God does. As long as God understands what he's asking him to do, he doesn't have to question. And what happens, you see that, that, that Abraham lives such a valiant life to the Lord that he turns to his servants that are with him and he goes, hey, me and the boy, we're going to go worship. And then he says this, and we're going to come back to you again. Why? Because God had promised a great lineage from his son. 
He knew that God was either going to raise his son from the dead because God doesn't break his promises, or he was going to provide a, a substitutionary sacrifice. We know that obviously there's a ram that was caught in a thicket as, as he was about to raise a knife to kill his son. The angel said, stop, that God has seen that your faith is true. Why? Because you've proved it to him. And then he gets a ram caught in a thicket, which is a thicket is what? Like thorns, maybe? I don't know if you see the symbolism there. Sacrifice caught in thorns. The sun actually carried the wood to the sacrifice. Same mountain range as Golgotha. I mean, it's crazy. But God asked him to do something crazy to prophesy forward to the death of Christ. I'm just telling you, we don't know what God's asking you to do. And in the midst of where you are right now, I don't know where God's taking you. I don't know what he wants to do through you, but I know this, that the call might seem crazy in your life. But, but here's the deal. When you live a revived life, obedience to the call of God might seem crazy, but it sure will make a whole lot of disciples. Because what happens at the end of this? Here's what happens. And they did it a third time, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water also. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah and the prophet came near to and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I mean, hello, have you seen a fire that hot before that it turned stones into dust? I mean, Smokey used to tell me that I had to put like rocks around my fire in the woods so that it wouldn't get out. And now here the fire of God just turns them to dust and then licks up the water. It's so hot. God is doing um, unexplainable things in the life of Elijah. And when all the people saw it, after, they, after they've seen God do unexplainable things in the midst of the life of Elijah, they have all seen it, and now here's their response. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. My question to you this morning is very simple. Are you willing to allow God to do extraordinary, unexplainable things in your life? by way of living a revived life. By way of understanding that the only hope to this world is God Himself and your total commitment to it. You see, revival, I believe that this, I mean, you'll, you'll hear a bunch of definitions for revival this week, but a personal definition for revival for me is a recognition of what truly matters in life and a total commitment to it. Realizing and understanding that the only thing that matters in this world is your relationship with Jesus and making his name known and everything else just falls into place. Why? Because God is watching over you. God is protecting you and he's putting everything else in line. And when other people see you do extraordinary, crazy things for the Lord, they will then cry out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And I don't think there's a person sitting in this room that would not say to me this morning that you think that what everybody needs in this world is a little dose of Jesus. And so how are people going to get a dose of Jesus? Through your life, living revived for Him. And so I don't know where God found you this morning. I don't know where, what you're going back into or what midst of circumstance you may find yourself in, but I know this. That the God of the universe has built great history with you. And He desires 
for you to live every single day of your life for him. Not just Sundays, not just Wednesdays. Living a revived life means that you're confronted with a choice, that you cry out with confidence, that you know that the call might seem crazy. What crazy thing is God going to call you to do this week, this month, this year? That it doesn't make any sense for you to follow, but you know because of the history that you built with God that He's going to do incredible things through it. And so you say, okay, let's go. Let's do it. All for your glory, for your renown, for your namesake, God. I'll do it. Church, can I tell you this morning, the world, America, Dalton, Georgia, needs you. Need you to live for God. Why? Because ultimately they need God. And the only way they're going to do that, the only way they're going to find God, is if you leave this place every single Sunday living a revived life, knowing that whatever you do, wherever you go, the people are going to see your face. So the band's going to come back up and lead us into a song of response this morning. Like I said, I don't know where you're, what you're going back to. I don't know where you've been. But here's what I know, that God desires to do incredible things in your life. God desires to do unthinkable things through you. But it requires that we wake up and we see just where we've been. We see that we truly have a need for revival. You see, 15 years ago today, this church was packed to the gills. You say, Mac, were you here 15 years ago? No, I wasn't, but I didn't need to be. Church attendance all across America 15 years ago rose 85%. All because some people of a different religion flew some planes into some buildings. It left us desperate for our God. My question to you 15 years from the day is will you be desperate for God again? So as the band leads us into a song of response, this altar's open for you this morning. Pastor Brett will come down front. I don't know if you've got, you, you may have been coming to this church for a long time, and this morning you've just decided you want to make this your church home. They'll be here to receive you for that. Any, any form of decision you need to make, this altar's open. Though. Maybe it'll be a people that pray like our pastor. Maybe you just need to, God has put his finger on something in your life this morning and you just need to come down and you need to make it right. There would be a people who, who do business with the Lord. Why? Because there's serious business to be done for him out in these doors. So Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much. Thank you for this morning. God, I pray that as we respond, God, as we respond in worship to you, God, that you would just continue to move in our heart. God, if you've spoken to us this morning, God, those of us that feel the need to just come and pray, God, will we just come and pray unashamedly, God, because this is the place. If we can't stand up for you in here, where can we stand up for you? So, God, I just pray that you would move our hearts, move us to a place of, of revival with you, God, so that 
God, we're seeking your face. We're not seeking some events when we go to the convention center tonight through Wednesday night, God, but we're seeking your face as we go there with the rest of our community. So God, won't you revive us? Won't you bring us back to our first love today? In your holy name I pray. Amen. As we sing, won't you come?